0: As you start working on this type of deal, as you have to study it quite a bit to go in, it helps you, it actually affects your confidence. So the more you study it, the more you become confident that your investment thesis is right. That finance theory does talk about overconfidence and you have all these behavioral finance things. But it's funny to see how they affect you on your day-to-day activities. So you actually get involved in the investment And sometimes your opinion might just get biased towards it and you just end up underestimating risk.
1: Hello, fellow risk takers, and welcome to my worst investment ever, stories of loss to keep you winning. In our community, we know that to win in investing, you must take risk. But to win big, you've got to reduce it. My name is Andrew Stotts from A. Stotts Investment Research, and I'm here with featured guest, Odilon or Odie Costa. Odie, are you ready to rock? Yes, certainly. All right. Let me tell the audience a bit about your background. Odilon or Odie Costa is Senior Emerging Market Research Analyst with emphasis in commercial, real estate, and fixed income. He started his career working at large investment banks such as ABN Amro, BNB Paribas, and HSBC in both Brazil and France. His activities are currently focused on providing strategic services for a number of research platforms such as REDD Intelligence and 11 Financial, as well as asset managers covering high yield and distressed debt. Odie holds a PhD in finance from FGV San Paolo School of Business and was a visiting researcher at the University of Cambridge. He has published several papers in the field of real estate finance and investments. And ladies and gentlemen, just before the show, we were talking about his experience in distressed debt and other types of debt. So a very experienced guy. Odie, take a minute, fill in any further tidbits about your life.
0: Oh, hi, Andrew. It's a great pleasure to be here. I really appreciate your invitation to my worst investment ever. I think this is a great topic to discuss. I currently live in Sao Paulo, Brazil, but I mostly work with asset managers in Europe and the U.S. So it's definitely good to share experience, not because it's just emerging market experiences, but bad investments just go bad for everyone. So it's a great <laughs> discussion from a global perspective.
1: Fantastic. In fact, think about that. What a global topic. And we are global. Our listeners are all around the world. And there you are in San Paolo. And here I am in Bangkok, Thailand. It's a global world for sure. Well, now it's time to share your worst investment ever. And since no one goes into their worst investment thinking it will be, tell us a bit about the circumstances leading up to it. And then tell us your
0: story. Well, a lot of people, including myself, are very proud of overperforming the market and highly prone to discuss and just remember victories rather than defeat. In the world of investing, it's just not different at all. We often need to make choices in life, and not of them would just lead us to overperform the market. So, my work consists in advising clients on high yield and distressed debt. So, you can imagine how tough it is when things go bad. So, distressed debt, things go bad quite frequently. My story, however, will focus mostly on the specific deal that I joined. I had some equity in it with a family office in Brazil. So it's a private deal. So it basically focused on the acquisition of a refrigerated warehouse that we acquired through a distressed mortgage loan with the lien on the property. While the deal made a lot of sense from an operating perspective, the property was well positioned and had technical and locational features that were pretty much no match in the markets. It's very hard to see this type of property out there, and they're very attractive. And in normal circumstances, you would get a very high lease price on that. Well, it theoretically made a lot of sense because it was an easy rent that could repay the other creditors and ourselves. Well, despite the attractiveness, there were a lot of labor, tax, and other competing creditors. So certain tenants that we were aiming to bring to the property were afraid to lease it due to its legal situation, but operational-wise, it made a lot of sense. So the strategy is we made a large initial cash provision to prior to acquiring the mortgage in case things went bad. So we were somewhat prepared for the deal to go bad, at least for a certain amount of time. So the first six months started out great. So after we acquired the credit, we set out an installment program with most senior claimants, especially labor and tax. So everything was... Settled on our side, and that helped us build a lot of confidence. So we were very happy with it. So we were aiming to get a good rent stream, and we already had a cash outflow stream settled with most creditors. So our cash flow was more or less stabilized on a monthly basis. So we're happy with that. Still, we had the big income problem as customers that came up to lease the warehouse, and trust me, there was quite a bit of demand for that. They had trouble to understand the complexity of the transaction. So Although it made sense to us, we actually overestimated our capacity to find a tenant quickly enough and a tenant that would be willing to absorb those risks. I mean, we had a lot of legal advice on this. Theoretically, there was no risk for the tenant, but it was hard to make people understand what we were doing there and how we would not affect them. So, why would these tenants be concerned with this? Most tenants. We're considered if someone else, if another creditor that had a lien or something on the asset took it over from us, our contract would be canceled. So, industrial leases often involve large investment amounts. So, customers are typically highly averse to cancel their lease prior to maturity. And this is the risk that we underestimated. And as the deal started and we purchased the first mortgage and we made a good deal with the labor claimants, that just helped us build our confidence, but we still had a lot of risks, especially related to the income side. Well, a year and a half went by and we still lack a meaningful tenant. We actually do have one now, but it pays a rent that's much below market value and it's not really sufficient to repay everyone. So our provision started to erode. Well, currently we're joining forces with another large lender and we seek to acquire our other creditors and hopefully manage to improve our income in the property that's where what we're trying to do now and it's working out well but the main problem is that the deal turned out to be much more expensive than we originally planned so the idea was to pay 5% market value on the property plus some of the labor claims and tax claims which would add up maybe 30 40% of property value so in the end we were trying to acquire a property with like a 50 60% haircut but in the end, it's going to turn out like vanilla deal almost. We're going to acquire with maybe 15, maximum 20% discount. So it was a little bit disappointing. I took a lot of risks to get into the property. And you know that high risk requires high return. And uh, we took the high risk, but we're not really getting a big return on this. It's not a bad outcome for a distressed investment where things might go bad and you just don't get anything back or you just get a of your cashback. We're getting a return for it, but it didn't make us proud. And the reason why it's, uh, even though it's a smaller deal, I think it's a very interesting deal to discuss, is that as you start working on this type of deal, you As you have to study it quite a bit to go in, it helps you, it actually affects your confidence. So the more you study it, the more you become confident that your investment thesis is right. That finance theory does talk about overconfidence and you have all these behavioral finance things. But it's funny to see how they affect you on your day-to-day activity. So you actually get involved in investment and sometimes your opinion might just get biased towards it and you just end up underestimating risk. <laughs> it's not a terrible story as it didn't go bad. I mean, it's not going as bad as we expected it a couple of months ago, but luckily we got out with our average return on the property. So
1: So how would you summarize the lessons that
0: you've learned from this? I think that the main takeaway for myself is that you really can't underestimate income risk. So if you're going to close a deal If it's a distressed deal, you really need to understand how income is going to come out of that deal. If it's not clear enough, then you should be careful. And of course, that in distressed deals, you cannot always guarantee that income will be there. But what you have to think is that you can't let confidence affect you. You have to be cold and manage risks in a way that they will not affect the way you see the deal. And um, I think that the lesson I took is that Regardless of how much you study a deal, you can't just underestimate the risks. You have to understand them and see that even though you might think it's a great investment, this is their risks involved and they just, they're just there. You can't reduce risks from some things that you can't control. So yep. you yep. need to understand that.
1: Let me summarize what I take away from your story. I mean, there's a lot to this. But the first thing I have to say about it is something that I say to my finance students. Whenever I talk to finance students, I like to tell them the following, finance adds no value. Well, you can imagine my finance students not being pretty pleased with that. But my point to them is that there's two sides to a balance sheet. There's the asset side and the liability side. And Us financial people like to restructure the liability side and we have lots of fancy things that we can do with it. But ultimately, business comes down to the asset side and what is our product, what is our service, and what is our customer base and what problem are we solving for them and how are we helping them to solve that and therefore, how are we being paid? So it's like the entrepreneurial, never in the financial world, we get so caught up in numbers and all these things. That we, you know, sometimes we think that that's adding value, but it's really the entrepreneurial aspect that adds value, which is what you've had been working on in this particular project. Yes. And that raises kind of the second thing, which is the idea of complexity. You see financial people, and there's plenty of financial professionals listening as well as newbies to finance. We understand some pretty complex things. You know, we can understand particular risks and things like that. We can provision for things and say, don't worry, we have a provision set aside for that. But that may not translate for the average business person that wants to do business with that particular, in this case, warehouse. Where they may say, look, it's too complex. I don't understand it. And yeah, you may understand it, but I'm not going to sign that. And so complexity sometimes can work for us in the financial world, but it doesn't work for everybody out there. So I think, you know, to me, it's the income risk that you mentioned is really about how we want to stay focused on business is about our products and services, and how people and companies buy them. And therefore, finance is oftentimes manipulating the liability side of the balance sheet. What are your thoughts? Did I miss anything?
0: No, it's correct. I think it's a great remark you make there. And it actually made me think of Paul Volcker saying that the ATM was the last big invention in the finance world in the 80s. I think he said that, right? And uh, yes, we don't really create. We're just everything in finance comes from income, and income doesn't come from finance. Correct. So, and and the job of
1: finance ultimately is to support the entrepreneur to do their business better, faster, stronger, cheaper. And if we're doing our job well, Like your work in distressed debt is trying to help the entrepreneur that's down, that's having a hard time, maybe in a difficult position, but they're going to pull out of it. And you help, you know, investors find those opportunities to say, I'm willing to bet on this particular guy in this particular circumstance. And, you know, so I always like to think that finance is a noble profession in that sense that if we're doing the right thing, what we're doing is supporting the allocation of capital to the people that are making the products and services that people want. So it's a good reminder of that, the difference between finance and business. All right, so based on what you learned from this story and what you continue to learn, what one action would you recommend our listeners take to avoid suffering the same fate?
0: Well, I think that the simpler the better. I think that's a major takeaway from this. I mean, of course we can do our things in a very complex way. But in the end, you have to understand your public and who you're dealing with. So in the end, my main public for this deal was it was a private deal or logistic companies. And uh, not a lot of logistic companies do know a lot of financial restructuring. They might know a lot about working capital finance, but they're not financial restructuring. So you need to first keep things simple and really understand your audience. So who is your client? Who is generating income and how to make things really clear so that people understand what's going on. People don't usually trust what they don't understand. So that's a big issue. Bingo. People don't usually trust what they don't understand.
1: I love that. All right, listeners, there you have it. Another story of loss to keep you winning. To find more stories like this, previous episodes and resources to help you reduce your risk, Uh visit myworstinvestmentever.com. As we wrap up, Odie, thank you again for coming on the show. I know it's painful talking about our losers, but our listeners are learning to win as a result. Do you have any parting words for the audience?
0: Well, thank you, Andrew. Again, it's a great opportunity to be here. It's a little tough to open the scar sometime, but it's nice to get the wound healed and talk about it so that other people don't get wounded as well. Amen.
1: Well, that's a wrap on another great story to help us create, grow, and protect, most importantly, protect our wealth. Fellow risk takers, I'll see you on the upside.